First of all, how many of you met somebody today that you've never met before? And how many met somebody today that honestly you're thinking, I don't think I like them? Okay, go ahead. <laughs> okay, I do want to hear, what, what are some of the greatest inventions? What are some of you think? Throw them out. Car? Okay, what else? Who said cell phone? Yeah, who thinks it's cell phone? It's a good thing. Okay, anyone else? A great invention in the last hundred years. Oh, air conditioning, amen? Yeah. How many of you have heard of grandparents? I always say grandparents. It's probably not that far. Talk about not even having indoor bathrooms where you go out to the outhouse. Wow, that just seems scary. So anyway, there's some amazing inventions. But I'm going to reach in this sack, and I want to share with you what I think is perhaps not the greatest, but one of the greatest modern inventions in the last hundred years. And uh, some of you will agree, I think it's duct tape. Can I have an amen? Yeah, I really do. Now, here's, here's why I love duct tape, because if you've got a problem, we've got a solution with duct tape. For example, let's say your mirror on your car window isn't working. The answer is duct tape. Can we pull that? There it is, right there. Yeah. <laughs> and let's say you've had a rough ride on the plane, and you get off that plane, you're like, somebody needs to fix that plane. We've got an answer, and that answer is duct tape. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> and you know, with I-69... It's, it's forced us off of the main drag, and now we got to get on these back roads. A lot of potholes. You got a pothole problem? Answer, solution? Duct tape. There it is. <laughs> and all of us have this. Let's say you got a really annoying friend, and you're not quite sure to do with that friend. The answer is duct tape. <laughs> Let's hit the next one, too. Can I have an amen? <laughs> Woo! Okay, let's pray and go home. That's as... That's as good. Now, here's what I love about the whole idea of duct tape. Again, I kept thinking about this. When you got a problem, a lot of guys are thinking, I got a solution. You know, give me duct tape or a hammer, and we can make good things happen. But seriously, I want you to think about the greatest problem that all of us face, all of humankind face. And I believe it can be summed up in Proverbs 16, verse 18. Pride goes before what? Destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Now, how many of you have heard this phrase? Pride leadeth to a what? Fall. But did you catch that scripture? It doesn't say a fall. It said pride leads to what? Destruction. And there's a huge difference. A huge difference. We're not talking about a fall. If pride gets a hold of your life, it will completely ruin your life. We're not talking about a fall. It will completely ruin your life. So God says, this is serious business. In Romans 12, the very first part in verse 3, it says this, For by grace giving me to everyone, I say to you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. Pride. You may remember this book that came out a few years ago. And I got to be honest, I remember when it came out, I never heard more people talking about a book in my life. You go to a coffee shop, they were talking about the book. Whether they were in the church or out of the church, and it was called Purpose Driven Life. Anybody remember that? The sales of that book were astronomical. And I heard, interestingly enough, the author of that, Rick Warren, at a conference probably about five years ago. And this is amazing. He said, I spent six months poring over that book, and I've never felt more inspired in my life. Every sentence I wrote, I sensed God was saying, Now, cut that sentence in half, talk less be more precise. And he said, so for six months, it was basically a wrestling match with God. And out of that came this book, The Purpose Driven Life. He said, now I never dreamed 
that that book would take off the way that it did. Matter of fact, if you remember, it became number one for several weeks and even leading into years, number one on the New York Times bestseller list. Now, he paused and said, did you know that if you have the number one book in the New York Times bestseller list, you get a lot of money? And we all laughed and he said, and I mean a lot of money. But he said, my wife and I made this really crazy decision before the book came out. Want to guess what the decision was? We're not taking any money that comes from this book. Now, I'm sure more than once they thought, that was not a great decision, you know. <laughs> but here's the most exciting thing. Before the book even came out, they said, not only are we not going to take the money, if money comes in, we have a game plan of what we're going to do with that money. You know what the first thing he did? He paid back the church every dime they'd ever paid him in salary. That's pretty amazing. And then he started putting together, him and his wife, a global initiative, this amazing plan of education and food all around the world. And he said, all of a sudden, we got so excited because the money rolled in, and it wasn't our money. We're going to give it away. Now, at the very root of him doing all of this, is it because he's such a great guy? No, you know why Rick Warren did that? Because of pride. He said, I knew good and well. If that money rolls in and I don't have a plan, I know the money's going to get a hold of me, and it's going to take me down. And my wife and I said, we already know we're, the way we're wired, and this could be a terrible thing if we don't get a handle on it. We all know that about pride. All of us know what pride can do in our lives. And if you go all throughout Scripture, you know what pride is capable of doing. Matter of fact, I thought about in my life, and I bet some of you have this same struggle when I think about pride and how it shows up. I think it shows up in our time. I read these quotes of a couple of individuals about what they were experiencing, and maybe some of you feel like this. Here's a woman who said, I am so tired. My idea of vacation is a trip to the dentist. I can't wait to sit in that chair and relax. That's stress. Or how many of you can relate with this? I feel like a minnow and a flash flood. You ever felt like that? Maybe that's the way this week's gone. Let me share something that was a, a really painful time uh, in my life uh, back in the early 90s. I was um, in youth ministry. My, my wife and I, Marie, we got married in 84. Five years I was in youth ministry. And she gave me permission to love on kids and to spend un unbelievable amounts of time away from home. And, and honestly, she could not have been more supportive. She knew I was passionate about reaching kids for Christ. And then we had our first child. And she assumed, which she should have, I'm going to give up that crazy schedule because I have my own child now. And a couple of months I did. And then next thing you know, I'm spending more time, a little bit more time, a little bit more time. And Rachel now is about 18 months old. And I had scheduled this just ridiculous about three, four-month period of time where it was this retreats and mission trips because you've got to do that because I'm sold out to the Lord. You know what I'm saying? And... Uh, I went on this missions trip, and when I came home, I remember uh, my wife was up at her folks' house, and I pull in the drive, and in my mind, I'm playing out the Hallmark moment, you know how dads are. I'm going to pull in, and she's going she's gonna to run out, oh, daddy, you're the greatest. I drew you a card. You know, I, I had it all memorized, and I, I pull up, nothing. I'm like, eh, she's probably taking a nap, you know. She's getting, she's getting rest for her excitement to see me, and I walk in, and when I walk in, Marie's sister's holding her. And I'm, I still remember this. Rachel kind of looks at me, and, and all of a sudden, she just ignored me. And her sister walks to me, like to hand her to me. And I remember holding this precious child, and I look in her eyes, and here's what got me. She looked at me as if I were a stranger. 
And then it hit me. Well, I am a stranger. Not just these last three, four months. I have been a stranger. Because when I'm home, I'm not home. I'm working on the next lesson. I'm working on the next activity. I'm planning out the next outrageous retreat. I'm calling kids and seeing how their week's going. I'm, I'm planning out what school activity I'm going to go. I've got all this stuff going all the time. And she was my child. But in all honesty, she was just somebody who lived in my house. And I remember for the next, man, it was several months, we had some pretty heated conversations. I mean, I would love to say as a minister, ministers don't have heated conversations with their wife. That is a lie. That is an absolute, I mean, it was, this wasn't a, you know, John, you need to slow down. It's like, dude, you better change. I mean, seriously, there's an issue and it's you, you know. And I remember like, listen, I, I am serving the Lord. You take this up with God. And you take it up with the son. And by the way, Holy Spirit. You know, so I'm, I'm laying out the guilt. And then finally, I'm like, wait a minute. You know what this is? This is a pride issue. Because I actually enjoyed telling people how busy I was. You ever been like that? We're frustrated with our schedules. But at the end of the day, shouldn't we be asking ourselves, why has my schedule got so out of control? And is this the schedule problem? Or is this a me problem? See, that's pride. Pride gets a hold of us, and I mean it will weigh us down like nothing else. If you look at the Ten Commandments, and you line all those up, and he said, all Ten Commandments, what's the common denominator in all ten of those? What's the, what's the problem? It's pride. Every one of those, pride. Matthew eleven eleven, or yeah, from last week, you may remember this. Jesus said, of all those born of woman, the greatest of these is John the Baptist. So I thought, if the problem in all of life is pride... What's the solution? And I believe it's in the secret that we uncover from John the Baptist's life. I think it's his number one characteristic. You know what it is? Humility. John the Baptist teaches us through his life humility. Matthew 5.5 5 says, Blessed are those who are meek, for they will what? Inherit the world. In other words, God says, if you want influence, if you want true impact, it comes not through money, it comes through eliminating pride, and it comes through meekness and humility. We don't hear enough about how powerful that really is. Jason Meyer said this, Humility is fundamentally a form of self-forgetfulness as opposed to pride's self-fixation. And if you're going to write anything down today, write this one quote down, please, and pray over this one quote. It's from C.S. Lewis, so you know it's good. Here's what C.S. Lewis said. True humility is not thinking less about ourselves, but thinking about ourselves less. That's humility. See, when you're in Jesus Christ, you don't have to beat yourself up. You can walk out that door and live victoriously because it's not about you. It's about Jesus Christ. And you can pick up your chin because I'll tell you what, he sold his life. He gave it all for you and he gave it all for me. And so when I walk out, it's not because I'm cocky because of me. It says, I'm confident because of Jesus Christ. But here's the deal. Then I don't need to think about myself all the time. I really start thinking more and more about how can I help others? And how can I surrender my life to Christ every day? And if I can do that, then I can start overcoming this battle with pride. In John 1, verses 6 and 7, it says this. He, speaking of John the Baptist, came as a witness to testify. This is awesome concerning the light, so that through him all might believe. 
in Christ. In other words, here's my mission, John the Baptist. My job is to, to share Christ so boldly that others are drawn to Jesus Christ. And that's my entire life plan. I'm going to just shine that light, not on me. I want to reflect the light of Christ so that others crave Jesus Christ. And I will give whatever it takes to make that happen. But I got to explain, this is really hard to do. I want you to look back at his life, think about his mission and ask, why would that have been so hard to be this sole voice out in the wilderness crying out repentance, this unbelievably difficult message? Why would that be so hard to pave the way for Jesus? Because you may say, well, what's the big deal? Think about it, to surrender everything for somebody else. Let me just share briefly why that was so hard. Number one, his age. He was older than Jesus. Now, I want you to think about this. How many of you, and don't, don't raise your hand, have been in a work situation and your boss is younger than you? Maybe your boss is quite a few years younger than you. And even though your boss may be doing a good job, if you're honest with yourself, do you ever have those days like, who does he think he is? Seriously. Does he know how great it is to have me as a part of his company? I'm older than him. I'm wiser than him. And God, let's be honest, I'm better than him. I'm okay. We all wrestle with that insecurity when somebody is just young. And you look at them sometimes, and then you, you don't want to admit it, but there's some jealousy like, not only is that person young, they're really good. Like, they're really good in an area maybe I'm not good in at all. And you see how easy it would be to fall in that insecurity is I'm preparing the way for somebody who's actually younger than me. Here's the second thing. He was related to Jesus. Elizabeth and Mary were cousins. Now, again, if we're honest, think of your family. And how many of you have ever read the book years ago? It's called Birth Order. Anybody read that? Have you ever studied Birth Order? Okay, I'm the youngest of seven, okay? So being the youngest of seven, what do you think my opinion is of myself? It's very extreme. On one instance, I've got the other six saying, and I hear this several thousand times, I'll tell you what, mom and dad would have never let me get away with. they just let you get away with. You ever heard that if you're the youngest? And here's the other thing when you're in that pecking order and you're the youngest. We've got a critical decision to make, family decision. John, you can go play wiffle ball. You know, I mean, they, you are not a part of this decision. You are what? The youngest. And sometimes you're just sitting there going, are you kidding me? And sometimes we have rivalries within our own family. We look at our brother, our sister, who's excelling, or their kids are excelling, and you're thinking, I get so sick and tired of hearing about my sister or my brother or their kids. And when we battle that, again, that could easily be pride. But think of John the Baptist, and he's preparing the way. And in all essences, he knows from the very beginning, this isn't just Jesus Christ. This is part of my family. Here's another thing to think about, inside pressure. Remember, John had followers. He had a lot of followers. And you know those followers probably behind the scenes are saying, John, isn't it amazing what's happening here? I mean, think about it. You have none of the advantages that a lot of leaders have. People by the hundreds, thousands are coming to hear you speak. Can you imagine how much pressure that was? Because here's... The, the greatest temptation when it comes to pride, he was successful. You ever, know, you ever know in your life when things are going really well that that can actually be a trap? Because just because things are going well, that doesn't mean that your heart is right.
but he didn't listen. And then last of all, and this is critical, John's influence rose rapidly. I mean, not only was he successful, it was very quickly that this was happening. Now, can you imagine as he's sharing this profound message of repentance, and not only are people listening, they're responding. They are responding. Man, can you imagine every day you're headed to the water, and every day people are getting baptized, and you got to know, what a rush. I mean, I can just tell you, by far, the, the, the most thrilling thing is transformed lives and when I'm in the baptistry and I just see the tears and I see somebody surrender their life to Jesus Christ, I mean, that is Federal Express. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. But to do that day after day after day after day, boy, if you were a prideful person, I'm telling you, it would take you down. Some of you may remember this name. Raise your hand so I get an idea as I get older. John Shula. Raise your hand if you even know that name. Good, three of you. Okay, so anyway, years ago, Don Shula, and he coached for years and years in the NFL for the Dolphins, and was probably in his peak, probably the most recognizable NFL coach. So much talent and championships, and so uh, he wanted to get away, him and his wife, from Miami, and they went up to Maine in this little bitty town in Maine, and they went into this little bitty theater uh, for a show, and there was only like 10 people. So when they walk in, I mean, they're like, the ninth and tenth person that show up, and all of a sudden, the whole theater starts clapping. And Don Shula leans over to his wife and says, can you believe that? Here we are, hundreds of miles from Miami, up here in Maine, little bitty theater, and they know who I am. Movie ends, somebody walks up, and he goes up, and a guy comes up, and he shakes his hand, and he goes, I am so glad you made it. And he says, well, it's good to be appreciated. He said, my name is so-and-so, and you are? And he couldn't believe, he didn't know who he was. And he goes, oh, I'm and Don Shula goes, oh, I'm sorry, I, I don't know Don Shula. And he goes, well, why did they clap when I came in? Well, the manager came in right before the movie and said, if we don't have ninth, tenth person, we aren't starting the movie. <laughs> we all need a wake-up call. Uh, I mean, we all need to realize sometimes we're not that great. I think that's why God gives us kids. Can I have an amen? Yeah. Yeah, you think you're great, you're not that great, you know. You know, sometimes even, I'm not... Sometimes if I get home on a Sunday and, uh, and if I think it went pretty well, I'm like, well, you know, Danielle, how'd you, think that, how'd you think that sermon went? Do you want me to be honest? No, no, I really don't. You know, because then that what kids do? They bring you right down to where you need to be, okay? Now, here's what we need to realize. God would rather us figure that out ourselves because I'll tell you what, if you cry out to God and say, God, I think I struggle with pride. Can you humble me? Oh, he'll do that, won't he? And he'll do it in a major way. Why? Because he knows pride leadeth to destruction. 2 Corinthians 4, 5 says this. Paul wrote, For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ, as Lord ourselves, as what? Servants. I love this quote about leadership I heard the other day. It's been said, If serving is below you, then leadership is beyond you. You, you want to be a servant? You want to be a leader? You better roll up your sleeves. And honestly, I won't follow a leader who's not willing to roll up their sleeves. We need to serve. Here's what I love. Tony, I thought it was so precious last week, actually got choked up. And what he was talking about, and it really is true. When I pull in here on Sunday morning, uh, somebody's always here before me. And I got to tell you what, there's a team that comes in, and they are just diligent about getting everything set up. And the spirit 
of getting everything set up and the spirit of getting everything tore down so that we can have this worship experience together is all about servanthood. It's not about you. It's about serving others. And that is a huge deal, that we approach everything with the heart of a servant. I want you to think about, I think, probably the most powerful moment in John's life. Do you remember it? He's baptizing folks, and I can't imagine the rush again of doing that every day. And he looks in the distance, and I just can imagine, here comes Jesus. And he knows it's Jesus, and it hits him. This is the Savior. Everything I've done is for this moment. And do you remember when Jesus came to him? His very first response was just like Peter. You remember when Jesus said, I'm going to wash your feet? Remember Peter's response? You're not washing my feet. Oh, yeah, I'm the son of God. I will do what I want. And he washes his feet. That's my paraphrase, okay? And isn't this amazing that in that moment, John's like, I can't baptize you. Jesus is like, no, no, this, this has to happen. This has been prophesied. This needs to happen. And what's amazing is when he came up out of the water and when he first saw Jesus and he approached, what did he say? Jesus, this is the Lamb of God. And when he came out of the water, what happened? It says that a, a dove fell down onto the shoulder of Jesus and, and he heard those amazing words, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Have you ever thought about figuratively what that represents? A lamb and a dove. It represents peace. It represents sacrifice. You know what it represents? A savior. There's a savior in front of me for all of mankind. It was never about me. Jesus, it's all about you. And I'm speculating here, but can you imagine? I just picture that he reached out, and I really do. I, I picture him drawing Jesus close to him. And I picture him as he held Jesus Christ knowing, God, thank you that you've honored me with preparing the way for the Savior of the world. Max Licato put it this way. If our greatest need had been information, well, then God would have sent an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. And if our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. But God knew that our greatest need was forgiveness, so God sent a Savior. He sent a Savior for me, and He sent a Savior for you. It was the greatest work ever because He clung to that hope. This is the Savior of all mankind. My daughter, uh, my oldest daughter, who I'm really proud of, um, uh, her name is Rachel, and she works for Special Olympics uh, up in Indianapolis in the, in the main office there. And so I've had a chance over the last couple of years to work at some of the events with Special Olympics. How many here have ever worked at a Special Olympics event? Anyone? Okay, I know Cammie, some others. I want to chat. We're going to give you opportunities uh, to work with Special Olympics. I'm telling you what, uh, if you need a dose of love and you need a dose of uh, commitment and just a dose of life, be a part of a Special Olympics event. It will just blow you away. So Rachel's a part of this amazing organization. And so she brings this little book to me and it was by Carl Erskine, and it was called Parallel. And uh, I couldn't put it down, a little bitty book, but the story was amazing. Uh, Carl Erskine was comparing his experience of playing uh, back in the 50s with Jackie Robinson to an event that happened in their life. And the event was in 1960. Uh, their fourth child, a young man named Jimmy, was born. Now, in 1960, the world was drastically different. 
They knew something was off just a little bit, but they didn't know what was going on. And the doctor came in. Now, if you can imagine this, in those days, they didn't use the phrase Down syndrome. Do you know what they used to call children? Mongoloids. And they said, we've diagnosed this, and your child is a mongoloid. Now, think about that. Now, imagine Carl Erskine and his wife, Betty, uh, He's, uh, he's got world championship rings. He's got everything going for him. And in those days, I can't even imagine this, they actually had a policy in that hospital, and it was called not disrupt your family policy. Not disrupt your family policy. You want to guess what that means? It's institutionalize that child. In other words, we don't want to disrupt your family, so you just leave, and we'll take care of the situation. And I love what Betty Erskine said. And without missing a beat, I carried this child for nine months. He goes home with us. And that little guy changed their life. And Carl Erskine said, even though we were terrified, even though we didn't know what was coming, we had no idea what God was bringing into our life. And it didn't matter whether I had a World Series ring God said, through humility, you love this little guy like you've never loved before, and he will change you, and he will change your family. And he said it was the greatest gift their family had ever received, Jimmy. But in the midst of all of that, in the hospital that night, when they found out about this little guy, there was this plaque on the wall, and I want you to listen to these words, and Imagine what a parent's thinking when he reads these words on a hospital wall. And I love this. Resolve to be tender with the young, compassionate with the elderly, sympathetic with the striving, and tolerant with the weak and the wrong. Because at some time in our lives, we have all been one of these. That's humility. Humility is when you reach the point of saying, it's not about me and it's not about them. It's about us because we desperately need one another. And it's not about spending every day thinking about how can I get ahead. It's about how can I pour myself out because that's what Jesus did. And that's what John did. He prepared the way for the Savior of the world. And it's the same responsibility that every one of us have. We're called to prepare the way for the Savior of the world. We're going to have an invitation at this time, just have a song. And as the song's being played, here's what I want you to be thinking about. I simply want you to be thinking about, is there an area of my life that I have not given to God? Is there a source of pride in my life? Is there an area of my life that I need to turn over to God? So if you haven't given Christ the, the first opportunity to be your Savior. We always are open for that. But we want you to know we've got folks who want to pray with you because this may be an area of your life where you're like, I really need to just pray about this. I just need to give God this area of my life that I realize is prideful. And I've asked the prayer team if they'll come up here and each week they're just ready to pray with you as we stand and as we sing.